You're listening to Deep Cuts with Antoine Reed, episode 29, Ernesto Perez Carrillo, E.P. Carrillo Cigar Company. Good. How are you, Ernesto? I'm doing great, buddy. I'm doing great. You know, good to be uh, good to be chatting with you here today. I know. I was telling uh, Ben. I'm th- I know you know Ben Stimson. Um, yeah. You know, I was telling him that you know these video things gives us a way to kind of connect. It's almost like a, a virtual trade show, except yeah. I don't have to contend with ten thousand people you know, clamoring for your attention. So uh, it's, it's been a little fun being able to have a, a captive audience and also being able to speak to um, some great people in the industry like you over the last couple of weeks um, and just learning more about them. Because usually, you know, when I see you, it's at a trade show and uh, we're, we're all pressed for time and you, you, you basically give us as much time as you can, but you're being pulled in so many different directions. So um, thank you again for, for jumping on this this video thank, chat thank and thank you for having me i appreciate it so what i wanted to do i mean we have an hour so mm-hmm. i definitely wanted to to jump into a lot of stuff with you so what i wanted to do with you was really get an idea of, of, of who you are i know when mm-hmm. i interviewed matt booth you know the, the question that threw him off was I, I asked i said who are you and he was like oh i have to think about it you know um so i wanted to do that with you but not with such a broad question i wanted to explore who you are through basically a series of questions and hopefully give the people who are listening now and the people who will listen to this in playback mode you know a better idea of of who you are and you know why you're in a position that you are in the industry because i think a lot of people look at you as being like really like the icon in the industry these days you're right up there in terms of cigar making you know, I was speaking to Alec and Bradley a couple of weeks ago, and, and they yeah. talked about how much they were looking forward to working with you um, on the gatekeeper. And right. so I, mean, I think a lot of people really look to you in the industry as for your blending skills and your experience that you've had in the industry. So I'm looking forward to asking you some questions about your experiences and just getting your picking your brain about blending and um, different tobaccos that we're all used to smoking, but we maybe not have given as much thought to as you have. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, sure. sure man. So to start off with, yeah. um, how did you get into the tobacco industry? Well, you know, I, I was born in, in Cuba back in 1951. And uh, basically, um, you know, my father, they had my mother, you know, first of all, my mother, uh, her father, my grandfather, Francisco, he had a little uh, farm down in uh, Montezuelo. Mm-hmm. which is way to the western part of the of the island down there in Cuba. So the tobacco has always been, you know, from my mother's side and from my father's side, I've always, you know, I've always been one way or the other around tobacco. And on my father's side, you know, his um, father, my grandfather, he used to make, uh, you know, penny cigars in the, uh, you know, the streets of Havana. So, I mean, I was always, you know, coming up, uh, growing up to about, seven when i left cuba was always around tobacco one way or the other and you know when we came from cuba back in 59 uh it took my father about what eight nine years 
before he decided, you know, he finally made up his mind. He was going to go back to Cuba. And uh, so he decided to get back into the business, you know. He had a little shop down on A Street. You know, he started with one cigar maker. Um, my wife, Elena, was, you know, one of her, his first employees, my, my girlfriend at the time. And I started working with him around 1970. And, uh, you know, it, it was, you know, for me, it was something that you kind of grow into it because, you know, needless to say, being in, in Miami for nine years and being away from tobacco to come back in it, you know, which is something that was like natural to a certain extent. And although I enjoyed it a lot, um, I married my wife when I was 19, so I had to earn a living. And unfortunately, at that time, the cigar industry wasn't what it is today. So I, you know, started working as a musician, and that was my my main gig. And then during the day, I would go and, you know, help my father out. And in 1980, he passed away, and that's when I, you know, took over the uh, the small factory that we had. At that time, we had like, I don't know, maybe 10 cigar makers. And, uh, you know, the business wasn't what it is today. It was a very small. Most of our sales were locally in Miami. We had a few um, distributors. You know, we had uh, a guy in Chicago, Han Greenberg, uh, Pennsylvania, uh, and we had a guy in, in New Jersey. And those basically were our outside sales out of Miami. So in 19... 1982, I started going to the different, uh, you know, RTDA shows in uh, New York and San Francisco. They had them all over the country, Chicago. And uh, it really was about 1992 when uh, Cigar Aficionado came in, you know, started uh, the, the publication. And that's really what, you know, changed the, uh, the industry, not only for me, but, you know, everybody that was in it at that time. So I was kind of, you know, I, I always loved music, but at some point, you know, I, I realized that um, I was never going to be a a, uh, a Tony Williams or a Buddy Rich or, you know, or Steve Gadd, which were some of my, uh, some of the people I looked up to. And, you know, tobacco, cigars, just, you know, it was something that just came naturally to me. And, uh, you know, I've, I've been you know, in love with this business ever since, uh, you know, I guess I was born. I just didn't know about it. And uh, here we are today. So, so experiencing like the cigar boom actually happening. Mm -hmm. I mean, what was that time in the industry really like? Because I know we all hear about it, but I mean, to to actually be experiencing that and, and having the ability to look back on it, what do you remember about that time? Well, I remember. Let me tell you something. Uh, the industry at that time was going through a lot of. It was going through hard times. Um, and it was a small industry, needless to say, and there just was not, you know, anything happening. I mean, as a matter of fact, at, you know, some points, you know, I started to wonder if I had done the right thing by, you know, sticking with making cigars, uh, because, you know, there was really no, you know, no money to be made, uh, merely, you know, we made enough money just barely to survive and as far as, you know, keeping the family and the kids and stuff. And um, so it was not, you You really had to be uh, in love with the industry, in love with tobacco, cigars to really stick to it, because there were hard times. And, uh, you know, I mean, I think I'm one of the oldest 
at 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 this point where you know where I, where I live all that you know from the seventies to seeing it what it is today, and the change needed to say as we can all see you know has been you know tremendous and incredible, and the amount of people that have gone into the industry nowadays you know in those times it was a different um, it was a different business you know nowadays you have you know what we're doing today. Uh, you have a lot of more things, social media and all that type of thing going on. So it was a whole different business. It was more of a, you know, it's there. You know, if you want to smoke a cigar, you know, you come in every Friday to our little shop on A Street and buy you 25, your 50 cigars, you know, fight for me, you know, trying to get a lower price and all that type of thing. And, um, but there was no real future. You know, there was nothing there that, you know, you could look and say, you know, do I want my kids to do this? And, you know, needless to say, when Cigar Aficionado came out, that's when the whole thing changed. And then it became what it is today, which is a, you know, a, a business, an industry. A, and uh, the good thing about it is there's a lot of respect. There's a lot of, uh, you know, that we saw in the old days. Still now, you know, there's a lot of respect for the business itself, you know, for the tobacco, you know, for the quality, for, you know, all aspects of running a business. I mean, it's really, uh, for me, it's been really exciting. You know, I remember when we started, uh, when, when we were, when we, uh, in 92, when the boom came in and, you know, we had that big success with our cigars, we were using a, uh, you know, one of those little QuickBook uh, programs that <laughs> and that seemed to do the job, you know? And nowadays, you know, I'm, I'm sure QuickBook is good, but nowadays you need a lot more than that. You need, you need, you know, good marketing program, you need a good distribution program, you know, logistics, and you get, you need good people. And that's, that's very important. So it's a, it's a big change. And I'm, I'm, I'm blessed to have lived through those periods, you know, the bad times and now, you know, the good times. And as somebody who, who blends cigars and deals with tobacco, mm -hmm. just the basic element of tobacco, how has tobacco changed over the years? It has changed a lot. It has changed a lot. And and I can tell you, uh, you know, in the old days, you know, when we started back in, in Miami, back in the 70s, there were basically maybe two, well, I don't want to say two, but let's say there was Dominican tobacco and there was some Matafina tobacco. And then you would have the Connecticut shade and then the uh, Cameroon wrappers. And basically those were the standard tobaccos, you know, once in a while, you know, we get some tobacco from Puerto Rico or from Costa Rica. And um, so that was kind of what, you know, what was available. I think probably um, a little bit before the boom, you know, when once uh, Honduras and Nicaragua started coming in to be a more, more prominent part of the industry, then you started seeing different tobaccos that you could blend with, you know, like Honduran tobacco, Nicaraguan tobacco. And then after the, um, you know, after the uh, the uh, the boom, after Cigar Aficionado, the period from 92 to 98, I think everybody was just concentrating on growing tobacco because there was so much demand, there was not really, you know, that much more that needed to be done because everything was sold. I think that once, you know, the boom kind of died out, then everybody started saying, you know, hey, you know, we got to, we can't keep doing the same thing we're doing. You know, we've got to start experimenting with different seeds um, and different varieties and, you know, growing in different places and really, you know, 
making this something that's really uh, unique and special because the competition is tough. And, um, you know, you have great tobacco growers on there. You know, everybody kind of said, you know, we, you know, let's see what we can come up new. Uh, you know, Carlitos Fuentes with Chateau Fuentes, you know. All these people, you know, they started experimenting with different seeds, uh, different varieties, you know, growing in different areas in the country. And uh, I think nowadays, uh, I think we have some of the greatest tobacco being grown of, of any era as far as, you know, the industry is concerned. So what was that first blend that you worked on? The first, <laughs> okay, the first blend that I worked on, well, when my father passed away, uh, basically our blend at that time was a, uh, a Dominican tobacco with um, Cameroon, I believe it was, yes, Cameroon. And we had also, we also been using some of the uh, Oliva Sumatra wrappers at that time. And uh, so those were basically, you know, what our blends were. For instance, El Credito was one of our brands that was we used there for Cameroon wrapper. And on the uh, Rico Habano and La Gloria, we used a Sumatra wrapper. You know, different blends, but, you know, Sumatra. So those were like, you know, the first tobaccos that, that, um, that I had the experience with. Then uh, in 19, was in 1990, uh, when the uh, ASP Tobacco, the, the Perez family, uh, decided not to grow any more wrapper in Nicaragua, they moved to Ecuador. And they had the farm. So I remember speaking to uh, Sylvia and, and asking him if he would grow some tobacco for me, some of the Nicaraguan tobacco. And uh, I mean, at that time, I was you know, starting to get a little bit of notoriety. Not that much, but a little bit, which a little bit before the boom. And so that's when it's funny because when I first got the ratings in Cigar Aficionado, that was the first you know blend that I had made with a Nicaraguan tobacco. Now, needless to say, you know I had tried Nicaraguan tobacco from before. Um, you know there was a great cigar made by the Fuentes called Flor de Orlando. There was a Hoyo Nicaragua. Uh, there were being cigars were being made also in Honduras that had you know different blends that were you know very nice and. Um, but that was really my first experience. Before that, it's funny because, you know, I always try to do something that was different of, of what everybody else was, was doing at the time. So I remember that time I was using the, around 1988, 89, I was using uh, some Mata and I was using some Dominican and Olor tobacco from Dominican Republic and the Sumatra wrapper. And, you know, for binders, uh, I still didn't have that knowledge of, you know, how important the binder is to the cigar. So I would use basically, you know, in, you know, either Sumatra or I would use, um, uh, I believe at that time we had some Mexican binders also. And it was not, you know, till I started getting more into the, into the blending and stuff that I started to, you know, experiment with different tobaccos. And that's basically, you know, how, how I get my, my how, what I enjoy, you know, going out, sourcing tobacco, seeing what new tobaccos are out there and see how, you know, how I can make blends with them that, uh, that you know, my customers and, you know, will enjoy. So. So, and you mentioned it a few times, so your, your work with La Gloria Cubana mm -hmm. um, and how when Cigar Aficionado started doing their ratings and, and, and their top 25 list, like how that kind of really helped kind of 
give you a, a little bit of a platform and, and more attention in the industry. Right. Um, and I think what was unique about La Gloria is like, I think it was there that you first started playing around with the bigger rain gauges. Is that correct? Yes, that was back in, um, I would say probably about 90, I don't know, 96, 97 maybe. What happened was, you know, we started uh, to notice that there was a little bit of a decline in the uh, in the sales in general. So we were going to go to an RTDA show, and um, I remember, you know, I had some malls that were 52 and 54. The biggest, I think the biggest one that we made was a 54, and the Gloria Cubana was, was a Charlemagne. So what I did, I think it was like 10, 15 days before the show, uh, we made some blends with the a 52 and a 54 and a five, and I think it was five and a half. And we changed the packaging. You know, we made the uh, Serie R packaging, the, the cabinet type box. And, uh, you know, real simple, I guess, to a certain degree. And um, we introduced that at the show. And, you know, it got a lot of notoriety. You know, I don't know why, but, you know, it, it was you know, it was a different blend that we were doing with La Gloria. Uh, but still using Nicaragua and Dominican tobacco. And then in 19, um, I saw my business in 1999. In the year 2000, uh, you know, we came up with the CVR uh, number six. And that's really what, you know, you know, just changed the whole brand overall, you know, the regular Glorias and the CVR. And then later on, we came out with the number seven. And that was also a huge success. So it was something that, you know, I, I can't say, you know, I, I like to say I, I was planning it, but it's just something that, you know, it, it just happened, at, at, you know, for a reason. And, uh, you know, sometimes things happen like that, you know? You can plan all you want, but sometimes those plans don't work out the way you, you, you like. Sometimes they're for the better, sometimes for the worse. This one in particular was, you know, something that just happened uh, out of the blue, I guess you could say. So, so uh, uh, some people are commenting on the different types of tobacco that you use in your um, cigars, and they want to know what what do you like about broadleaf tobacco? Broad broadleaf, you know, I started using broadleaf uh, back in the early '80s, and uh, there was one gentleman. And here in Miami, they used to, uh, you know, uh, he was like the distributor or the, uh, the the person that sold that tobacco here. Um, his name is also uh, Placencia, uh, Guillermo Placencia. And, you know, that at that time, funny thing is, you know, at that time, that tobacco, nobody really wanted it. It was, you know, a, a, a beautiful, dark, you know, uh, how do you say, um, you know, creamy, sweet tobacco had strength, but that was not what the market was looking for. So, I mean, there was some of it grown, not that much. There was, you know, some of it grown, but it wasn't that popular like it is nowadays. And I grew up, you know, uh, smoking that that tobacco, you know, making blends with that tobacco, working with that tobacco. Uh, because remember when, uh, when uh, we were in H3, we just had like, you know, small, I don't know, I think we had like a thousand, fifteen hundred square feet. So everything was done there. So I had to work a lot with that tobacco as far as the fermentation, uh, the aging. I mean, it, it was it was like the first time that I guess you could say that, you know, I saw something that was 
that could make a difference in my brand. And um, remember that time we paid for that tobacco about two twenty-five a pound. Now it's up to like thirty dollars a pound. So, <laughs> but it's still a great tobacco. And uh, you know that particular tobacco, uh, like again the Sumatra, um, you know some of the uh, Habanos tobaccos that are being grown now in Ecuador and in Nicaragua. I mean, there's so much great tobacco being grown and, and so many things that can be done with this tobacco that it's like, um, you know, for me, it's, it's one of the greatest moments in the in the industry. And, and you've worked with so many different types of tobacco. People will also want to know, what's the biggest difference between Nicaraguan-grown tobacco and Dominican-grown tobacco? Well, it's it's, you know, basically, you know, they use the same seeds. What the difference is the soil and the microclimate. That's, uh, you know, that's basically the difference as far as the tobacco itself. Now, needless to say, when you go from there to the process, you know, Nicaragua and Dominican have two different uh, ways of doing it. Uh, but I think, you know, Dominican tobacco, it's a more noble tobacco. It's something that, you know, I think blends very well with any type of tobacco. It has a lot of, uh, you know, has some character that's, uh, very similar to a certain degree, as you would say, you know, as you would see in some of the uh, Cuban tobaccos that are that are being grown in certain areas. And then the Nicaraguan tobacco is more of a, you know, fuller, I would say probably, probably fuller flavor uh, as far as the, uh, you know, the flavors, you know, a little bit, you know, stronger. But I think, you know, they, they complement each other very well. Uh, also, you know, some Honduran tobaccos I'm experimenting with. Uh, Matafina, which is always a tobacco that I've always tried to, uh, when I can find it, now it's more available, you know, incorporate and blends that I'm I'm going to work with. So, I mean, there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's, um, there's a lot of difference, which is good, because it just makes blending that much more interesting, and you can play with different, you know, aromas and different flavors, as opposed to just using one type of tobacco from one country. So, that's what I find that so interesting about, you know, each of the tobaccos from the different countries. It's blending those tobaccos that I enjoy and the flavors that I enjoy, you know? So. And when you left La Gloria and you decided to start EP Carrillo, mm -hmm. you know, what was the, the thought process behind that? Because starting a company, regardless if it's a tobacco company or not, is, is not an easy, an easy thing to yeah. accomplish. So. Like when you said, you know, okay, I want to start my own company and I'm going to brand it with our name on it and everything else. You know, what was, you know, what were you thinking at that point and, and what were the kind of the challenges that you faced when you were um, building up that brand and that company? Well, I have to, you know, I have to, uh, you know, if I'm going to give credit to, uh, is to my two, my two kids, you know, when I decided to uh, start over again, my my plan was to, you know, just make like private labels, you know, open up a small company in Dominican Republic and, you know, make private labels for, you know, some of my friends like, you know, uh, Alan and, and, and Rocky, you know, were a couple of the guys that said, you know, we, you know, we'd like to do something with you. And um, so it was really my kids that uh, that got involved uh, and said, you know, you know, if you're going to do this, you know, we want to be part of this. Uh, uh, project and uh why don't we call it you know the family name instead of you know you're making cigars for somebody else 
just make cigars for us. And then later on, if you want to do something like that, you know, fine. So that was basically, you know, how the, the company came about. It was, you know, uh, the insistence on being part of it. And uh, I think, it, you know, it, it worked out great, you know, because, I mean, to make brands for other people, I enjoy, I enjoy working with a lot of, the, you know, the, the, the private labels that, that, we, um, that we produce for, that we work with. But I think, you know, having your own brand is, 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 is key and, and uh, you know, be able to really have a, uh, a company. Um, somebody just had a kind of a tobacco question, but they said, when you mentioned microclimate, what do you mean by microclimate? Well, I'm talking about the weather, you know, I'm talking about the sun, the hours of the sun. I'm talking about, uh, you know, rain. I'm talking about, um, and, and we all know, we all know that there has been some change in the climate. Uh, so, I mean, to people that grow tobacco, uh, they have to, needless to say, take this into um, consideration when they're planting their seeds. So, you know, like different areas, for instance, in Ecuador, uh, there's not that much sunlight. I mean, there may be, I don't know, eight, nine hours, you know, seven hours. And Nicaragua, in certain areas like Esteli, is 12, 13 hours. So all those things, plus the soil, okay, the minerals in the soil, that's what make up, you know, the microclimate to a certain degree and what that, to, what that tobacco is going to taste and smoke like. Um, if you have, for instance, if you have a lot of rain during the growing season, you're going to get a lighter tobacco. If you don't have that much rain, you're going to get a heavier, you know, fuller body tobacco. So all those things influence a lot on what the tobacco is, you know, is going to taste like once you make it into a cigar. It's all about yeah. the soil and the climate, because at the end of the day, you know, we all, well, most of the growers use the same seed and uh, each area will give you a different uh, smoke altogether. Now, when people think about E.P. Carrillo, of course, a lot of people right now think about the Encore. Mm -hmm. So what's the story behind that particular cigar and that blend? Like, how did that come together? Well, actually, that started back with La Historia back in, uh, was it 2012? And the way that they came up, that came about, you know, my, my son, uh, early in 2012, you know, he came and he said, you know, he wanted to do something, a, a different uh, brand that, you know, because we had the E.P. Carrillo, and he wanted to do something different with a more traditional type of look, you know, more of an older uh, vintage look, I guess you could say. And um, using different tobaccos, that's where I started using the uh, Mexican uh, San Andres wrapper, which uh, I never used uh, before, you know, with our company. And that was part of, the, I think, the success of that, uh, of that particular brand. But I think also what helped it a lot was the, uh, the packaging concept. And that was something that was done by, uh, you know, by Lisette. Uh, she got a, uh, a friend of hers who's a, uh, an artist to draw up the, you know, with her, in, with her uh, how do you say, uh, guidance and, and my son's guidance to make the, the artwork for the uh, La Historia. So when we, when we came out, I think it was in 2014, I believe it was 2013 or 14, when we came out with that cigar, uh, I remember people were coming by and they were loving the cigar, but they were also loving the packaging. You know, we had that up and it's all pedestal and everybody would come by and look at it and just, you know, sit, stand there and say, man, this, this is really cool. 
So that's when I learned that packaging is, is very important, you know? And then in 2016, uh, Lise came to me in 2015. She said, you know, Dad, why don't we do something, you know, like uh, not replicate, but do something that's as unique as Life Story. And at that time, I was um, looking into, you know, thinking, you know, what could I do that's different? Um, not using the, the tobaccos that we had, you know, the Sumatra and the Habano from uh, Ecuador and the broadleaf and all that. So I was, remember I was in Honduras, I was visiting with uh, Nestor Placencia, buying some tobacco from him. And he showed me this wrapper that he was uh, growing. He'd been growing it now for about three or four years. And he showed me, and I just fell in love with that, uh, you know, Jalapa, Habano wrapper. He doesn't tell me what seed it is, and I don't want to know. I know it's just great. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we made, we, we started working with that and, you know, making it all Nicaraguan tobacco, all Nicaraguan cigars, you say. And um, it was, you know, it, it was, I fell in love with it from the moment I saw it. What I didn't know, what, you know, was hot hard, it was to really blend with that particular tobacco and ferment it because although it looked like, you know, it was very easy to ferment, um, it took us almost, what, two years to get that fermentation right and to make those cigars that were, you know, would get a number one eventually. But when we came out in 2016, you know, we came out in, at the RTDA and, you know, it wasn't right. It wasn't right. So remember when we when we got back, everybody was happy. Hey, you know the cigar was the 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 encore is a success, and and, and uh, I'm looking at uh, you know I'm looking at Lisset and, and and you know a couple of guys there in the office, and I said you know this cigar isn't right, and uh, I don't think we should put it out. And you know they just stood there and looked at me and said, <laughs> and basically you know they say look we got to trust you man. If you don't feel it's right, you know. We'll, we'll bring it out when it's right. Now, mind you, we had already spent a lot of money on advertising and all kinds of pictures and all kinds of stuff to bring the cigar out. And um, so what I did was, you know, when, when, when we got back to, when I got back to Dominican, I started analyzing, you know, and, and, and came to the conclusion that the rapper needed more time. Now, we had given it about, I don't know, at that time, probably a year, year and a half of fermentation, slow fermentation. And what did the trick was, you know, we do we did another type of fermentation in tercios. I don't know if anybody's familiar with tercios, but that's basically the the, the uh, uh, palm tree, the bark of the palm tree, uh, jaguar they call it in in in, in Spanish, and. Um, it's an old Cuban method that's been used around for, you know, since the 1930s. And, and really the method was, the, only, the reason they did that was because at that time, they didn't have any cartons. So to transport that tobacco from the farms to the factories, they would put them in this, send it to the factories. And what happens is that the factories would leave it there for two or three years. And once they opened this tobacco, they saw the change and the aromas, you know, the colors, the texture. And that's how it became popular. So that's what we did. And when we came out again in 2018, you know, the tobacco had completely changed. You know, it, it, I mean, it, it was 
something so unique. I mean, for me, and I guess for for a lot of our, our uh, customers, that uh, you know, it got the number one of the number one cigar of the year. And what was it like that day when you found out that it got number one cigar of the year? Because I'm always curious if it's like you know when Hollywood actors you know find out they get nominated for an Oscar, they always like, where were you? And um, you know, when I was speaking to our our mutual friend Raphael Nodal, yeah, um, a couple of weeks ago, I asked him, yeah. I said, "How was it when you found out?" He's like, "I was in the doctor's office." You know, he's like, <laughs> I, "I totally didn't know anything. I didn't, you know, people were calling me, and and all of a sudden it was like poof, it was like there it is." So I was like, "What was that experience like for you?" Well, I I, I gotta be frank, you know, and, and uh, I just knew that uh, that this was my chance. I mean, I say, you know. If if you know if we don't get it with this particular cigar, I think it's going to be hard for me to, you know, going forward, uh, you know, be able to get a, a number one again. I don't think that anymore. I think you know we'll we'll get a couple of number ones <laughs> before I'm gone. Hopefully, it'll be a, a while. But I you know we were we were we had just came come from my my uh, one of my grand uh, my granddaughters. They were having like a little show in the morning and we were having breakfast when I heard the news. And I know Lee said, Lee said she was, uh, I think she, um, I mean, she really took it very, very, you know, very much to heart. Uh, remember it was with my son, my wife, my, my grandkids. And uh, I mean, it was just, at that moment, you just say, hey, you know what? You start thinking back at your life and you say, you know what? It's it's finally happened, and uh, all the you know hard times, all the hard work, all the sacrifice. This, yeah, this yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's it. The sacrifice, everything. It was you know it was well worth it. And uh, and then you start thinking, you know, uh, that night, you know, every night before I go to bed, I smoke you know one or two cigars in my little terrace back here, and you start thinking about you know all the the people that. Uh, help you make this you know i mean this was not something that it was me alone there were a lot of people involved you know going back to you know my parents um you know the workers at the factories you know my kids the people that work maybe the inspiration of my grandkids you know wanting to have you know leave something for them a legacy a legacy for them um so that they say you know whenever they speak about tobacco they say oh yeah my my grandpa was a, a cigar maker and uh you know that type of thing, and you think about, you know, it's 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 very gratifying. Let's just put it that way. And I think the first one is is I think it's very important because that's when you really you know when you you know every year you're hoping to get the number one, and you keep being turned down, and it just makes you know well next year I'm going to uh, you know do this and so I mean it's it's for me it was you know. A challenge every year, but every year it just made me that much more. Um, hello, uh, how do you say? Um, wanting to get that number one cigar of the year, and just work harder, and and you know, challenge myself more, and you know, challenge the people that work with me more to see how we could make this cigar really a uh, you know spectacular. And and again, you know, it's it's uh, it's not all about me. I have you know a lot of people that work with me that are. You know, they kind of gave me some directions that sometimes I think I have something down that's perfect or very good. And, um, you know, they'll say, you know, Ernesto, it, this is not right. And, and most of the times they're all right. 
So it's a, it's a big, it's, it's, it's a big honor and it's a big, um, you know, I, I, it's hard to describe what that moment feels like. And uh, I'm fortunate to have felt, let's put it that way. And it was funny because soon, it wasn't too long after you got Cigar of the Year that for tobacco business, I think we recognized you as our, you know, the recipient of our Hugo Chairman Award, which is given yes. out to somebody that we consider to be kind of underrepresented, uh, under kind of appreciated in the industry. And I know it was a, a test because we wanted, we didn't want you to know until you got, <laughs> until you got there, what was going on. So I know we, I know. it was a lot of behind the scenes, like I talking. They were like, "Let's can we get Ernesto there to like, yeah, like we'll work on it." So you know, and that was a different type of award, just because it it was you know recognizing you and your contributions to the industry. So what was it like, kind of being recognized, not just for your blending skills, but for for being you and your hard work that you had put in for so many decades. Well, listen, you know, needless uh, to say, it's like you say, you know, this was all kept from me. I didn't know. And, and when it was finally, you know, when I was there and they, and Michael Giannini starts talking about it, and I said, wait a minute, there's something going on here. <laughs> and, and it was great, you know, but you know why it was great also? Because I know the family, uh, you know, I know uh, yeah, the, the old man and, and me, we go back a long time. Uh, the kids, you know, that's such a great family, man, you know, in spite of the fact that, you know, they've gone through so many different phases in their business, you know, they still, you know, they're still at it and, and hitting hard and being successful. So coming from them was very, very important also because it was coming from that family, but also being, you know, recognized for just being myself and, and it, you know, that's also, I mean, it's a, it's a huge honor, you know, that people take the time to really say, hey, man, you know, you're doing something special and we want to. We want you to know that we appreciate it. So, I mean, it was, it was, it really touched my heart. So it was a great moment for me. And it was a great moment. I mean, your speech that night, I'm sure we have it online somewhere, but it was, it was definitely a, a moment not to forget, I would say from that <laughs> night. Cause like I said, you were surprised. So, I was. Um, <laughs> you know, getting Michael, Jeannie need to do the speech and everything. I mean, yeah. we, we, we wanted to make it a special night for you. So like, we were happy that you were there to accept it and that you I were, you know, that it, it meant something to you. Um, I don't think we could do, I don't think we could do any interview of, you know, about you without talking about your daughter, Lisette, because she's uh -huh. a big part of the, the company, but she doesn't always, you know, get the, the attention that uh, I feel like she should get. But what's it like working with your daughter and what have you learned from working with Lisette? Well, you know, the first thing I've learned of working with Lisa, you got to be very careful of what you're going to uh, say or argue about because she's a lawyer. And she <laughs> has a way of twisting things around and making you look, look stupid. So <laughs> that's the first thing that I've learned. But I think, you know, I think that the most important thing, you know, when I started this business, like I said before, you know, the kids wanted to get involved. They were, and they were very much involved because of the fact that you know, it's for them. Like I said, you know, my, my original idea was for a hobby type of thing. Now it's become real work. And I think, you know, working, um, I mean, knowing that you have somebody uh, here in the States that basically is taking care of, you know, everything that's going on. It's, 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 I'm very fortunate. I mean, we, I think we're all very fortunate that, you know, she's a lawyer, she's in marketing, she's in the finance, 
And she's doing a lot of things that, uh, you know, I wouldn't be able to do. And I think, you know, very few people can do. So it's, uh, but still, you know, there's that, there's always that, you know, father, daughter, and and we have that respect, you know, for each other. And and the good thing is that, you know, the, it's, I think it brought the, the, the family uh, much more together. Um, when I started the, when I started the business, uh, my son was in, in New York and, uh, you know, he moved from New York here to be part of the thing. So, I mean, you see when your kids are really behind you, supporting you, and you can count on them to do the right thing and not have to worry about, you know, what's happening uh, with everything that's happening in the industry today. It gives me that much, that much more freedom to, you know, really do what I, what I do, which is, you know, uh, blend cigars and, and, and make cigars. That's, that's the... That's like a big, you know, I mean, I, it's a big, believe me, you know, what she does uh, as far as, you know, the FDA things that she's done for us, you know, I mean, nowadays, you don't have many people that have that much experience or knowledge of what is really happening on with the, uh, with the FDA today. So it was, it's, it's, it's great to have that, that uh, support. Like I said, I, Every encounter I have with Lisette is, is a great one. And I love doing articles on her because she's very smart and she always has the insight that nobody else in the industry has. So well, she's one of those speakers, like whenever I can recognize or work into an article, um, you know, I, I try to, to get her perspective on um, in it because I think more people should kind of hear what she has to say. So I was curious about your your input on that. <laughs> Yes, yes. Like I said, you know, it's um, it's um, you know, working with 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 your kids, uh, it, it's it's. You know, I'm not gonna say it's easy because you know you have, you know, I have my ways that are set. Uh, but like I said earlier before, you know, the world is not, in other words, this industry is not like it was when I started. You know, nowadays there's a lot of more things involved that I really don't want to you know get into because you know that's not my my forte. And I think that's what, you know, where they're good at, where they can, you know, handle the different situations that are coming up, you know, with, uh, you know, how do you say, legislations or whatever, you know, so they handle most of that. And I think they're doing a great job, you know. You know, another thing we couldn't have an interview with you and not talk about is collaboration, because you work with some great companies and other brands outside of EP Carrillo. So mm -hmm. I mentioned the Alec and Bradley, gatekeeper project that you worked on mm -hmm. um, for Ventura Cigar just last year, I believe. You worked with them for the yeah. Cuban Cigar Factory. Okay. Um, so, so what's your, I, I, so how do you approach collaboration? How do you kind of work with people? What kind of things do you kind of bring to the table in terms of knowledge and what's the negotiation like and, and how much of you is in a project? How much of them is in a project? Well, I think, I think that you know, when I worked with, um, you know, Alec and Bradley, uh, uh, the Crown Heads, you know, Mike Giannini, you know, we've done a couple of, of projects with Mike. Um, I think that, you know, first of all, I think what's important is, you know, it's important that they fall in love with what I'm going to, you know, blend for them. They have to be 100% on it. You know, it can't be, well, you know, Ernesto blended this, so it has to be, you know, good. Well, you know, it, my my customer may be different than your customer. And what I want to build is your customer so that, you know, 
we can have this this relationship was successful for for both of us or for both parties and i think that you know when you look at guys like alec bradley when you look at guys like the crown heads which is you know like probably two the really the the the, the ones michael janini right the ones that we're working on with now now we're going to be doing something also with uh um renee from villager we're going to be doing something okay. with that but there has to be there has to be a relationship you know that is has been there or is going to develop it's not a question of just making a cigar to put another cigar out because at the end of the day you know my name is on that cigar too and i want that cigar whoever it is for that we decide to work together to be just as as you know as important as you know one of my own uh, these people have put their trust in me and i don't want to ever you know feel that uh you know they trusted the wrong person so it's a question like as first you know the relationship getting an idea of what you know what they like or what you know they're looking for and then we work together that's one thing that uh, is very important you know we work together on the blends and um, for instance i like bradley i like one blend they liked another one and we went with the ones that they like and it was a, a success uh same things happened with the uh, crown heads you know uh with the ventura project you know we went through i think eight or nine blends before everybody said yeah this is the blend that we like now saying that if it's something that i think that i really don't like you know I, i'd rather not make it because like i said before at the end of the day my name is on that cigar too mm -hmm. so it's got to be something that that they're in love with but i got to feel comfortable with also that you know it's it's going to be a, a good cigar now there's so many new people kind of coming into the industry like a new generation of people i should mm -hmm. say um, like alec and bradley mm -hmm. so what advice are you kind of giving these younger people coming into the industry now well i think you know anybody that comes into this industry and there's a lot of people that are you know um you know this industry is is going a lot into the face of the marketing you know and there's a lot of guys out there that are great marketers and i think for them um you know what they're doing is great you know they're having success but i think that for them also it's important that they really take you know take some time and you know go down you know go down to the factories go down to the fields and just see what it's all about you know and i think uh once they do that you know they'll be a lot more successful because they'll be able to understand a lot better what you know tobacco is about what blending is about and the work that goes on to making those cigars that they're they're marketing out there so i think that's very important you know be able to really get in there and what i find is that a lot of the younger generation today you know now they're starting to want to know more about you know cigars and tobacco which is great because you know we need people out there you know we need the young people out there to really you know start getting out in the field and 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 you know growing tobacco and making cigars in factory and you know going to nicaragua and, and dominican and honduras or wherever and you know we need that young generation to uh to come into the business at that level not just at the level of you know being out doing events and marketing the cigars so 
I think that's that's my advice to anybody that really wants to uh, uh, be successful is to take some time to do that. So, now looking ahead for for EP Carrillo specifically, mm -hmm. I mean, what's what's some of the things that you hope to to do with the brand going forward? Well, you know, this this year is our fiftieth year, my my fiftieth year in the business. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, we're going through this situation now. Uh, we were planning on doing, uh, you know, a special cigar for this year. Uh, and we're going to have to leave it for next year. So that's one of the things we're working on. We're working also on something that uh, we were hoping to get out, you know, this month. Uh, and that's going to, you know, be delayed now to probably June or July. Um, and then I'm working also on, you know, just coming out and working on different blends. I just started um, working with some, you know, some tobacco that I hadn't worked with in, in a while, uh, Ometepe from Nicaragua. So I'm excited about, you know, I've made some blends, um, but unfortunately I haven't been down in, the, down in the factory for about five weeks now. So I'm gonna be doing something with that in the future. Um, and, you know, and, and just keep looking for, for great tobaccos. You know, we, we uh, like I said, you know, now it, the industry is, is, you know, has some of the best tobaccos that it's ever had. And the quality, the attention that's being paid, uh, being uh, paid to this, uh, to this tobacco is, is something that, I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible. Let's just put it that way. There's so much, uh, there's so much going on uh, not only in in, in the uh, in the uh, tobacco side, but you know in all aspects of the industry, that I think this industry, in spite of everything that we're going through, is here to stay for a long, long time. So, I'm very enthusiastic. And and just as you said, we hope you're around for decades more. But yeah. <laughs> when you think of, when you think about your legacy, whatever yeah. that you know, whenever people have to look back, um, what do you hope people kind of remember you for or remember you asked well that's a good question you know at the end of the day um that's a very good question but you know i think people you know once you're gone they talk to you in a lot of sense about the past and sometimes they don't take you know what they learned from you at that time and bring it to the present. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, when I'm, when I'm gone, and like I, like you said, hopefully it's a long time from now, that those people that, you know, were around me that, uh, you know, want to know more about, you know, what I did with tobacco, how I blended tobacco. And the reason I say this is because, you know, me being a musician, uh, I always look back, you know, what, you know, what was this lick that uh, Buddy Rich did or this, you know, this, um, pattern that Tony Williams did. And I don't know if people are doing that, but I think, you know, like even myself, you know, I'll go and I'll smoke a cigar, you know, a Padron, a Fuentes, an age, you know, Pepin, whatever. And I'll buy another one and just open it up and check out, you know, what tobaccos are they using, you know. You know, I'll burn it, I'll smoke each cigar, each tobacco by itself. Because, I, you know, I'm a student. I'm a student of tobacco. And, and I want to keep learning. Even at my age, I want to keep learning because I feel I haven't learned anything, everything that I could learn from tobacco. And, you know, and 
you know, and like I said, you know, it could be any cigar. If there's something interested in it, and you know, I want to know more about it, and I want to see, you know, what the different, how they bunch the tobacco, how they bunch the cigars, you know, how many leaves of viso, seco, ligero, what binder, you know, the wrapper. I just, I love that, and, and that's you know, I think that, you know, if you know, once I'm not here, you know, people will still do that. I don't know if they do or not. I know that I do it, and I know that uh, that's something that's really, you know, brought to me a lot of satisfaction. And uh, it's like reading a book, you know. Here it's like reading a book, and I think you know people should do that. And um, I guess that's what you know. I guess uh, that's really what I want to you know. And like I said before, you know, my grandkids, you know, when they they talk about me, they say, "Oh yeah, he was, you know, Hall of Famer, number one cigar of the year, whatever." You know, make them proud. Let's put it that way, and make my kids proud. What's your advice, kind of, to the industry right now going forward? Because, like you said, the industry right now is facing so many different challenges, just from legislation and how to move forward. So, as somebody who's been in the industry so long, I mean, what's your parting advice for the the industry as we kind of wrap up the interview for today? Well, I think that you know we have to be, you know, needless to say, this this is that is going on. Is, is something that's not going to weigh. It's not going to weigh anytime soon. I think we have to think long-term. I think, you know, we shouldn't, you know, uh, get desperate. Uh, we're going through hard times, but every business, every industry, you know, has gone through these times at one point or another. Um, America is, is, you know, probably the great, it's the greatest country in the world. And I think we'll find a way to beat this that we're going through now. So I think that, you know, in spite of everything, I think, again, you know, we have to sit back now and and wait and see what happens as far as, you know, which way this situation is gonna take us. But saying that, you know, it may not be this year, it may not be next year, but I think, you know, we're, we're, we'll get over it and, and you know, and uh, we just can't go crazy, you know. I think now for me, you know, we're looking at it for our, for my company, for our company, we're looking at a strategy, you know, going forward the next three years. How are we gonna position ourselves in the market? You know, what do we wanna do? Uh, what do we want to be in our customer's eyes, you know? You know, given that, that confidence that you know, they're going to buy a Carrillo cigar or one made by us for other people, and they're going to have the consistency and, uh, you know, they're going to have the quality that uh, they deserve for buying that cigar. So I think my most important thing now is, you know, sit back, analyze your business, and know what you want to do. And don't, you know, don't go crazy because that's the worst thing that could happen to any company. So how can people... Um, I know EP Carrillo has a website, they're on social media. What's the best way for people to kind of follow along with what you're doing and what EP Carrillo is doing? Well, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, my, my daughter keeps telling me, you know, I should keep posting every day and all that, but <laughs> I'm not, I'm not really that, that, uh, you know, that much into that, I guess you could say, or, you know, any of the social media stuff, but I think, you know, um, uh, Lisette puts a lot of, you know, bits and bytes about, you know, 
myself and things we're doing on, on our, uh, you know, social media, on our Instagram. So I think that's a good way to, uh, to uh, you know, follow us. And I think, you know, we, we have, um, you know, we have some plans in the future, which, like I said before, right now, we're going to have to put on hold. Uh, but, you know, at uh, maybe next year or the year after, you know, I, I want to see how, you know, we can somehow, uh, you know, get close to have more access uh, to our customers and our customers can have more access to me. And I think, you know, what we're doing now is a great, you know, it's a great, um, you know, way of starting, I guess you could say. I think, you know, this has something that, that uh, I think a lot of people, uh, you know, enjoy knowing about, you know, the different manufacturers, the different personalities in the, in the industry. And I think this is a great venue for that. So hopefully we can do, you know, more of those in the future more of these type of things in the future. Me too. I, I mean, it's been great. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're, we're, believe it or not, we're at the end of our time together. So what I wanted to do is thank you again for well, taking out you. an hour out of your time to, to speak to me and to share your story with everybody here. And I know we all got a great lesson in tobacco today from who, if, if you'll scroll through the comments, many who, who say you're the master of tobacco. So I think that's, <laughs> or either the, ma the master or the maestro. It was going in between those two, so um, people well, really I'm, enjoy. I'm, I'm honored. I'm honored because that's really that's really what you know what I enjoy doing and what I like doing, and uh, you know to have people say that about you know me, it, it's really an honor, and I appreciate it. Well, like I said, we've enjoyed hearing from you, and hopefully, we'll see more of you on social media and more of these interviews. But um, until our next encounter, I just wanted to say thank you again, and I look forward to. Uh, speaking to you in person someday. I look forward to it. And thank you. You're doing a great job with this. I mean, I've seen, you know, a lot of people are excited every day, you know, watching you with the different, uh, you know, people in the business. So keep at it because it's, I think we need it, especially at this um, time. Thank you so much. That means a lot. So thank, um, you. thank you and have a great day. Stay safe. <laughs> thank you. And to you, all your followers and all your viewers there, you know, thank you for taking the time. And I hope you enjoyed our little uh, chat here. Awesome. Thank Stay you. Stay safe. Thank you, my friend. You too.